As a busy weatherman, people rely on me for up-to-the-minute weather reporting, which means I need energy to keep me going throughout my day. Well, right now, you can get two Dunkin' Bacon, Egg, and Cheese sandwiches for $5. Well, in that case, the forecast calls for rain, sun, partly cloudy, high, low, scattered, isolated, umbrella jacket, flip-flops with 100% chance of looking up on the Internet. I've got sandwiches to eat. Humidity, dew point. Get two Dunkin' Bacon, Egg, and Cheese sandwiches for $5. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina radio show sponsored by Jersey Mike's. Guys, we need to talk about Virginia. We need to preview the Virginia game. Carolina, of course, in Charlottesville on Saturday at noon or about 12:20 kick. Uh, but first, as we talk on Thursday evening, I'm watching Appalachian State play Georgia Southern and a lot of eyeballs, especially those that are on the Inside Carolina message boards are watching this ball game on ESPNU and App State is down. And App State's turned the ball over leading to easy touchdowns by Georgia Southern. Greg, it brings up the uh, certainly the coaching issue or the coaching situation for North Carolina. A lot of people want to change. A lot of people like Scott Satterfield. There is a faction that thinks that Satterfield or, or a coach on that level would not move the needle for North Carolina. Your thoughts, personally, I think expectations, at least of some of the loudest folks, may be a little high for North Carolina football. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's an issue with aiming high. Um, I think that's good for a fan base. I think. I think you should, but also think you need to be realistic. And I, you, we were talking off air, but you, you, Mac Brown's a good example. Uh, if we we discount his first couple of years when they went one and ten, and then even the sixth win year, I guess in ninety, what was that ninety one, whatever it was. Um, if you, if you look at his last six years, he averaged nine wins a year. Uh, and so you, that's the best period of UNC football history right there, the, you know, the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And he was doing nine wins a year. Um, and so to set a mark of saying, you know, we got to win eight games a year minimum, minimum, I think, uh, I think it's ridiculous, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think you know, occasionally you win eight games. Occasionally, maybe you can do what Larry Fedora did in 2015. Have a really good year when things break your way. You contend for the Coastal. Uh, you contend for the ACC Championship. Maybe win 10, 11 games. And then understand there are going to be years where hopefully you go to a bowl game every year. But sometimes it's going to happen where you have a four or five win season. Most of the very oh, but- good programs do that. I mean, look, Michigan State, right? I mean, I think that's a great example. What was their record back in 2016? They went 3-9. Uh, yeah, it was fortunate they had a team like Furman on that record, on that roster or schedule, so they could get some easy wins. Uh, and the ACC, but, is, the ACC has improved at the bottom such that the doormats in the ACC are not uh, pushovers in the way that you're kind of suggesting there. I mean, heck, this year Carolina is one of the doormats. 
And, you know, that's not a bad Carolina team uh, in terms of the actual talent level of the team. They're just missing some key talent at one one spot, and they've not been able to close in a couple key spots. I mean, so, I think I think a great example is, I mean, look at Jason's school, Florida State. Yeah. I mean, that is a school that over the last, I mean, whatever Ballon took over, so over the last 30 years uh, has had some of the best talent available. They've had some really good coaches, and they've had some fantastic years. And everybody likes to talk about that 14-year span in the 90s where they finished top four. That is an incredible run. There's a reason we talk about that because nobody does that. But look at what they've done the last 10 years. Yep. Um, yeah, they won a national championship. Yeah, they've had some good years. Well, let's think, about, let's think about it this way. Florida State won, what, 29 games in a row in 2013 and 2014. You realize that this last week against Wake Forest was the first time Florida State has won an ACC game by three touchdowns, or, or I'm sorry, by three scores since 2014. If you'd, really? if yeah, if you'd gone to sleep in 2014 <laughs> and woke up in 2018 and somebody said, yeah, Florida State hasn't won a game, won an AC, won a conference game by three scores since 2014, how many people would have believed you? The margins are really, really thin in college football. And, and and by the way, you know, Florida State's had 41 straight winning seasons. That's in serious danger this year. And that just goes to show how quickly things can change in, in, in today's game. The other the other example that is a historical power, look at Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame is definitely a blue blood school, right? Nine and, and if you look at Notre Dame over the past five years, here's their record. Nine wins, eight wins, 10 wins, four wins, 10 wins. That's Notre Dame's record over the past five years. And they are, I mean, there's no doubting that they are a traditional blue blood school with the ability and the brand to, you know, to, to uh, recruit across the country. One of the strongest brands in college football. So if you're expecting you know, minimum eight wins every year. Notre Dame didn't, didn't do that the last five years. They had eight wins one year and four another. So, you know, if, you, if you're saying average eight wins, you know, let's say over a five-year period, you want your, your program to average eight, at least eight wins and, you know, to have a chance for, you know, a little bit more each time. That I, can, that I, I think is actually realistic for Carolina. But that's a different thing from saying eight wins is the floor. Yeah, I've always said on this podcast a lot, and we talked about it off air, and I've said it to anybody that will listen. If you had a coach that come in, that came in and, and won eight wins, had eight wins a year, and that was the floor, there'd be another statue out there beside Charlie Choo Choo Justice outside the football center. <laughs> and yeah, it's, because that and it's puts you true. in the top fifteen. Exactly. That puts you in a top fifteen programs over. You know, that makes you a top fifteen program over whatever stretch you're doing that winning eight wins for say five years, you're going to be a top 15 program there because some of those wins or some of those years, you're going to get more than eight. If eight's your floor, you're a top 15 program. So, so here's the thing for North Carolina fans is we're, I think we're mostly in agreement that eight wins as a floor is, is asking too much realistically, but this is where you get into the discussion of, okay, uh, we want to, you know, we want to make a change. You know, fans are saying this. We want to make a change. But you have to finish that thought and saying, okay, so where do we go from here? Because here's the issue. 
What has Larry Fedora done since he's been at Chapel Hill? He won eight games the first year. He won seven games the next year. Then he won six games, which is a down year. That's a pretty good floor. You still go to a bowl game, winning six games. Then you win 11. Then you win eight. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that you know, his first five years pretty much averaged that eight-win area. Um, and you know, we can have discussions about last year, but I, I think for the most part, you got to say he probably gets a pass, even though the quarterback situation was a problem last year and obviously carried over to this year. Um, so you got to make sure if you decide to make a move that you have somebody lined up that can at least do what he's done. And I think that's the problem of saying, okay, well, let's go with a, a Scott Satterfield, who he has done a fantastic job at App State, no question about it. But as we saw with Larry, jumping up from the, the G5 level to the Power 5 level, it's, it's a big difference. There's a big change there. And so you'd have to be willing to say, okay, there's going to be some learning curves. That's part of the deal. Uh, are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to let this guy learn uh, as he kind of builds the program? And well, I, and, I, and it, I go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say that those are the things you have to be willing to uh, deal with if you want to go at that level, which I think is fine. But you have to be accepting of of the consequences of that decision. You have to be willing to wait it out and give him time to kind of grow into the job. I completely agree with that. And and the thing is, how many programs get themselves in trouble because a coach actually starts to starts to get the program to where the expectations raise a little bit because of the success that that coach has actually been having. And so then the then the fans start to go, "Well, we should be able to do better. We should be able to do better." And then they actually fire that coach. And they go and they find the new flavor find somebody to replace him and the grass turns out not to be greener. I mean, look what happened with like Maryland firing Ralph Regan. Yep. Right. They, it's like, well, you know, we, we can do better. They were not going to do better than Ralph Regan. I'm sorry. And you know, well, the, the reality, the best was option that- of that, the best example of that, Jason is, is rough and McNeil down in East Carolina. Yeah. It's a great example. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Oh, we, we, um, we, you know, we've, we've gotten to the place where, you know, we think our program is, is better than the coach who's kind of raised our, our profile or helped, helped us get our profile raised. And now we're going to move on. My general rule of coaching changes is if you're going to make one, you'd better have. So before you let the guy, let the guy you have go, you'd better be sure that you have, a, that you have someone that's going to be better on the line that is going to come because if you're not 100% sure, sometimes the devil, you know, more often than not, at least if you're having a guy that where, where he's had some success and you know, you're not having a total disaster. It's one thing if you're firing a guy who's gone, Oh, and 11, two years in a row or something like that, you know, where the, where the, the program is completely tanking. That's recognizable. And at that point it's like, well, you know, we're not going to get worse and we need to inject some life in at that point. You, you make the change. But if you're talking about firing a guy or a staff that's had success, now you'd better be real sure that you're getting an upgrade. You better be absolutely sure. And that, that's a lot harder than people think. You, I mean, what, what 
home run coach out is out there for North Carolina. And, and don't tell me Satterfield. I don't think he's a home run coach for, for North Carolina. He might be a good coach at Carolina if he, if he wound up there. But can anybody really say, like, I'm absolutely confident that, that the results under him would be better than they have been under Larry Fedora the last, eight, the last five years? I don't think we could say that. Ooh, this one's getting good. You might need to get your popcorn if you're listening, but I'm going to tell you about Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Right now, use the code HEELS15, get 15% off that order. We've talked about it a lot. Chapel Hill area stores, including the new one down there at Chatham Crossing. HEELS15, online promotion only, save 15%. Here's how it works. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. Show the locations nearest you. Click your order. Pick your favorite sub at checkout. Heels 15 and get that 15% off. Skip the line. Head straight to the register. Grab your food and you're on your way. It's our opinion, in my opinion, that Jersey Mike's is the superior sub option. Tasty and delicious and always hits the spot. Do it today. Place your order. One of Chapel, or the four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations and the one in Chatham Crossing. And now look for Jersey Mike's inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys as well. Support the IC Podcast and get the discount off your Jersey Mike's order. Certainly a win-win situation for our Inside Carolina listeners. Which brings the question, and I'd like to hear both of your opinions, and Greg, you can start it. I feel like there's a lot of, of fedora fatigue with this fan base, and it happens all over the country. Uh, but Folks, especially on our message boards and our listeners uh, that are the hardest core of the hardcores, uh, they're fatigued with it. And um, there's things that folks don't like, and therefore they think, well, we need a new direction. Carolina needs to go in a new direction. Greg, how much of that is realistic as well? I mean... Like Jason said, you go and fire a coach that's had some success and and then you might get a Scotty Montgomery. And then you're like, yeah. And now look at Ruffin McNeil now and look at East Carolina. And folks will say North Carolina's not East Carolina. Um, and unfortunately, the last few times they've played, they haven't been. But Greg, your thoughts on that portion of it. I mean, is that a thing in coaching changes? Uh, certainly a thing, and I think it's a valid point, and I'm, I'm still a little bit amazed. You're coming into this year uh, fully under you know, the impression that this was not going to be a great North Carolina team. I did think this team could you know, fight for probably a bowl bid, maybe get to 6-6. Six and, six. Um, and But the way that the fan base reacted after the East Carolina game, it was like a – sudden shift i mean it turned on a dime uh and because you throughout the preseason people talking about oh yeah they win eight nine games and kind of looking at it and we all kind of agreed that man that was a little bit optimistic but when they lost to east carolina and that was a bad loss no doubt about it uh, the way that the fan base really kind of turned on larry i think is a problem and i think that's a that's a larry problem i think uh, part of it is that Larry does things the way he wants to do them. And if we've talked about this before, but if you're winning, if you're Nick Saban and, and Bill Belichick and all these other guys, 
you can get away with that when you're winning. When you're going, you know, eleven and three, winning the coastal and going to the ACC championship game, uh, you can kind of have that attitude with the fans and the media. But when you're losing, you have to have a little bit of rapport built up for the media to help you kind of say, ah, you know, it's just a tough time for him right now. And then for the fans to say, well, you know, he's a good guy. He's been really good to us. We're going to give him a little bit of grace. I mean, I think I think Larry's had a hard time with that aspect of it. Uh, All you have to do for, how, for an example of that is look at Jimbo Fisher in Tallahassee last year. Yep. When things Absolutely. started going bad. I mean, you're talking about a guy that won a national title 29 games in a row in 2013 and 2014, you know, went to the, went to the playoff in 2014, went to a, uh, went to a, uh, uh, you know, one of the uh, contract bowls in uh, 2015, you know, that, that program was one of the three most successful in the country for a good portion of his, uh, his time there. And things started tanking last year and the media completely turned on him, partly because he had not been real friendly to media. And all of a sudden, when the media turned, the fans turned, and then things went really sour really quickly. And it's been, and, and it's a similar situation in that regard. Although I think it's it's not nearly to the level of acrimony that it got with with Jimbo. So the, the question is, can Fedora turn that around? Now the the obvious answer is, well, if he wins, then maybe he can. But even if he just wins at a kind of an average level. You know, this year and maybe next year, is that enough? And that's that's what Bubba has to figure out is, okay, you know, to what point of, of fan apathy are we able to handle for Larry to get this thing turned around? Because I think that's an important point. If Bubba Cunningham was convinced that this thing is done, then I don't think there'd be any question that Larry'd be gone at the end of the year. But given what Larry has done while he's been at UNC, um, I, I do think there is some some optimism that, hey, this is obviously a tough stretch, but he's shown enough that maybe he can get this thing turned around. But when you factor in these components like you're talking about, Tommy, that has a, a totally different dynamic, and it's a matter now of, okay, even if, if, you know, if I'm Bubba, even if I think he can get it turned around, if I think he has the capabilities of doing that, can we get the fan base back? And I, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It, it looks pretty doubtful at this point in time. And then Jason, the last point uh, before we shift gears to Virginia on that, the recruiting aspect of it is not going well. And that's a combination of uh, Fedora and wins and losses so your thoughts there, I mean, I, I mentioned this to Taylor and Mike earlier in the week. Can a staff change their stripes and just completely do a 180 this deep into a tenure, seven years? Is that possible? And fans be damned, if the recruiting's bad, then I think you've got to do something. But your thoughts, Jason? Is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? No. I, I think the answers there are pretty simple. You can decide, you know, we're going to, we're going to change our approach recruiting wise. We're going to do this. We're going to do that and, and hold, hold yourselves accountable to it. Yeah, you can do it. You just don't see it very often. Uh, it's really unlikely. Now, you know, the question is how bad is recruiting actually going to be after this season? 
Uh, and you might say, well, you know, all you have to do is look at the results on the field and, you know, they're not going to get any, any kids. Well, that's the two edged sort of recruiting, right? Is that when you're not playing well, you can sell, rec- you can sell playing time. So, you know, I'm, the jury's still a little bit out there, but there there does seem to have been a pretty significant loss of momentum so far. Uh, we'll see whether they're able to recover some of that momentum back, and you know, getting a couple wins uh, from here would would help. Uh, and you know, getting a couple things that would be helpful in the public relations side, you know, in terms of the recruiting side, uh, would be helpful. But um, but we'll see on that. And again, I think I think the the question of whether you can get the fans back is 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 important. Although I would say it's not so much about getting the fan like average Joe fan back. The question is, do you have the backing of the top boosters? Do you have the back? You know, are the are the powers that be, which are not just you know Bubba Cunningham and and the others in the athletic department proper. We're talking about the people who give money to the program and who have a vested interest in the success of the program. Are they, you know, where are they in the process? They, they're going to have some say here. And that's the question in all of this on whether or not the current, the current coaching staff is going to be able to sell their vision beyond this year to not just to Bubba, but Bubba being a Bubba and them being able to sell it to the people that write the checks. Cause when the checks start, when the checks stop coming in, that's when ultimately your hands, your hand is forced. Indeed, especially with the money involved in contracts and hiring other guys and all that. We need to get to Carolina and Virginia, but first, HeelsTravel.com. It's the easiest way to book travel to big UNC away basketball games. And right now, HeelsTravel.com is offering a package to Chicago to see Carolina take on Kentucky on December 22nd, one of the biggest games of the entire college basketball season. HeelsTravel.com now. Or call 336-855-0060 to book. Package includes nonstop airfare from RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from the airport to the hotel, and two nights stay at Chicago Omni, where Carolina will be staying as well. It's a great chance to see the Tar Heels on a huge stage against a great opponent. Check out a great city around Christmas time. Visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. Let's turn the tides to Virginia. Carolina goes up to Charlottesville, Greg. They play a Virginia team that's played pretty well this year. Um, but there was once upon a time, Carolina couldn't win in Charlottesville. And now I believe if my memory serves, they've won maybe four straight in Charlottesville. Look ahead to Saturday, Carolina and Virginia. Obviously, important game for Carolina is probably more important for Virginia. Uh, but your thoughts just sort of overall of this matchup? Well, I think kind of the frustrating thing for North Carolina fans is going to be the fact that this Virginia team is what you would hope to have maybe in a down year. And what I mean by that is the way that Bronco has kind of built this team, he understands he does not have the talent level that he needs uh, maybe to win the ACC. Granted, they were able to pull a big upset a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, with with um, uh, the win over Miami, but when you look at what they do, okay, they're they're a ball control team. You know, they're top twenty five in the nation in, in time of possession. I'm not saying that's very important, but that's kind of their mindset of this: play good defense, this be efficient off you know, offensively, which they are. 
Uh, let's, let's capitalize on third down, which they do. Uh, let's limit turnovers, which they do. And so if you do all those things, what happens? You win a lot of games. You get to five and two. And so it's not like they have some explosive offense. Bryce Perkins is a is a good piece there at quarterback, um, more of a uh, kind of a running back than he has a quarterback, but he's got decent numbers passing. But they do have a good defense, uh, and they're opportunistic you know, offensively. I mean, I think if you look at third down, third down conversion percentage, they're converting at 48%, top 15 in the country. Um, turnover margin, they're, they're tied for 44th with a, with a plus turnover margin. And I, mean, I think I think they just do a lot of a lot of those basic things well, and it's worked out for them. And they've been able to to win some games. Um, and I think that's you know, they didn't play especially well at NC State uh, a few weeks ago, lost by a couple touchdowns. And that's going to happen when this type of team doesn't kind of bring their A game. Uh, but they're kind of just grinding out. Whereas North Carolina, we've talked about. You 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 kind of see some of the issues that they have. They'll they have a good defensive game paired with a bad offensive game. They have a loss. They fail to take advantage of opportunities against Virginia Tech. They lose. They make some really some poor game management um, decisions late against Syracuse. Cost them an opportunity to win that game. So I think that's kind of where the frustration comes in. But kind of looking at this Virginia team, it's like man, I wish we could just be like that. When we know we don't really have the talent to to compete with the the big names out there, Jason, there two losses at Indiana and then at any state, but bounce back and beat what I think is a pretty good Miami team and hold them down to thirteen points, and then win at Duke. We we talked a lot last week of dealing with a quarterback that can get out of the pocket and make things happen. Dungy had a, either a bad day personally or Carolina really affected him. Either way, Dungy wasn't the guy for Syracuse. Um, how does that play into this game and how Carolina defends Virginia? Well, I think it gives you a lot of confidence that you can defend a quarterback that, that gives you problems with his legs like that. So um, if nothing else, you know, it, it, it has me – I mean, you, you, you remember, you probably remember that I, I picked Carolina to lose this game preseason. You know, I, I thought I thought Carolina would lose this game before the season started. And, and, and that that made me a minority on our uh, on our pregame show or our preseason show, as I recall, because, you know, generally people have kind of assumed that Virginia, which, you know, doesn't have very many ACC level players, as uh, Bronco has let everybody know, doesn't have a whole lot of talent. But um I'm now actually contemplating going back on that, and I might by the end of the by the end of uh, this episode, specifically because um, of what I saw from the North Carolina defensive front against Syracuse. I mean, they dominated Syracuse up front, and what Virginia has been able to count on has been giving teams trouble when they're not able when those teams have not been able to dominate them up front. So, you know, where, where they got in trouble against NC State is NC State's good on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, that, that's the same, you know, the same thing that if Carolina is able to do to, to Virginia what they did to Syracuse, that, that would be the same kind of problem uh, that Virginia would face there. Uh, forcing Virginia to play behind the sticks, not able to run the football, not able to really use the, quarterback, uh, the quarterback's legs as much uh, as, uh, to, to stay ahead of the sticks. They're able to limit that. 
then Virginia is a lot less scary. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that I think that at least gives Carolina a decent chance to win the game. Greg, you mentioned Bryce Perkins. He can throw it. He can run it. Um, tiny fella, not a big fella, but he he's effective. Greg or Jason mentioned uh, State being good on the line of scrimmage, but Miami has some talent, and yet he was able to do just enough to beat Miami. Your thoughts on the effect of having Carney back, but I, I guess Fox is out, and I thought Fox has played really well. I think Carney can make a difference, but Carolina's defensive line, especially, I think it's going to have to be disciplined against Perkins in Virginia. Yeah, and it's not only Fox is out. I mean, Alan Cater is not going to play, and Cater's been sneaky good this year. He's filled in very nicely when either Corner or Fox has had to sit out with suspension. So now you're down you know, two or three top defensive ends. So that hurts. Uh, you know, and Aaron Crawford's you know, kind of been delayed in, in getting back. So I'm not exactly sure if he's going to be ready to go this week or not. Clearly was not ready a couple weeks ago when he tried to go against Virginia Tech. Um, so, so yeah, that is a concern a little bit at defensive end. But to, to Jason's point, I mean, if you look at what Virginia has done, I mean, they haven't been um, you know, special offensively. I mean, they've kind of stacked their numbers against Richmond and Ohio. But you know, against Indiana, they averaged 4.6 yards per play. Uh, at NC State, they had a little bit of success, 5.5. But Miami was 3.8. Duke's 4.8. So this is not an offense that necessarily scares you. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, they are optimistic. You know, they do a good job moving the chains, uh, and they've limited turnovers. And that's that's really about all you can ask for, and then Bronco really leans on that defense. So I agree if North Carolina's defensive line can continue to play uh, you know, like they have in, in some games of late, and with Miles Dorn uh, back in the lineup, you know, uh, John Papuchas really thinks that Dorn's a difference maker for him back there and that he really makes that secondary whole. Um, and you know, there's some evidence to that. You know, North Carolina, I don't think they were prepared for uh, DeVito coming in. Um, J.K. Brett talked about how they need to be more aware when there is a quarterback change and, and what he does well, which I thought was an interesting statement by a senior safety. Uh, but you, when you kind of get, get beyond those aspects, I, I think the secondary has played better with Dorn back. Um, we don't know yet if KJ, Ch- KJ Sells is going to be back or CJ Cotman. That would be beneficial if one of those guys can actually make a return because uh, Patrice Renee has been playing well. So you got a lot of good pieces defensively that could keep you in this game. Um, you know, when you talk about Virginia being a nine point favorite in this game, I, I don't see that. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, that sounds like a very big spread when you compare the talent level. But again, it goes to the fact of Bronco has done a good job this year of taking advantage of his opportunity. We know North Carolina has struggled in that regard. And so that's really what this is going to come down to. Jason, flip side, Carolina's offense. Uh, I mean, at times they look really good, and then at times they look asleep against Syracuse. I think they can be effective. Daz Newsom certainly has come along nicely. In the running game, I don't know the weather. The weather's supposed to rain tomorrow and then be cleared up on Saturday. But I think Carolina needs to force feed the ball 
to Carter and Williams, though Carter's fumbles, I guess, have gotten him in the doghouse. But your thoughts on how Carolina approaches that? Because what I don't think can happen is get into the swing fest that has happened at times for North Carolina did against Syracuse, and they had no success in the swing game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you you have to plan on this game. I, I mean, I suspect if I were going into this, I would plan on this game being lower scoring. So you're not going into this game expecting it to be a shootout because I, I don't think they're going to score a whole lot of points. I don't think offensively they're 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 a team that's gonna that's gonna give you a ton of problems. Uh, again, looking at, at the numbers that Greg read out, I mean, uh, you know, three point seven nine. Uh, yards per play against Miami and, uh, you know, 4.82 yards per play against Duke. Those are, those are not impressive offensive numbers. You know, that uh, you look at what North Carolina did against Miami it was 4.39 yards per play, which was better than what uh, Virginia did. The difference was, was obviously turnovers, but uh, I think what you're, what you count on is that, that, you just have to make sure you're not going to put your quarterback in positions where he's prone to turn the ball over uh, and that you're going to be able to, and you try to do whatever you can to uh, to stay ahead of the sticks, be willing to play some field position in this game and, uh, and try to use your most explosive player. Uh, I, I think you're right. Force feed uh, Carter, the football and, and, and uh, get, uh, uh, your tailbacks the football as much as you can in this game because of, I think the nature of the kind of game it's going to be. That if I think I think the team that scores twenty eight points in this game is going to win the game. So, uh, and you might not even need that. I think twenty four might be the magic number in this game. So if that's the case, go in, kind of feeling that way as a play caller. Now you can adjust, and you can you know if they start to put up points, and you can adjust on that, but. I'm looking at this and I'm going as a team, I want to get to 24 points without, without turning the ball over. And I feel like I'm going to have a pretty good chance of winning this game with the, with the defense I'm putting out there and with what they have talent wise. So that means run the football, make sure that your quarterback when he's throwing is throwing in favorable down and distance. So if you're going to throw it, throw it, play action on first down and get it down the field, use your screen game, do some of that stuff. And, and I think you got a chance to win. Greg, any new recalls you think North Carolina North Carolina will put out there? Do you think it is what it is at this point in the season? I mean, I think the little drop passes to Daz Newsom were very effective. Uh, but do you think we'll see anything differently? I, I think Jason's right. A low-scoring game uh, 100% benefits North Carolina because I don't think Carolina can air it out by any stretch, with especially with Elliott back there and score a ton of points. But how do you see it playing out from the offensive side for North Carolina, Greg? Yeah, I do think we will see some changes uh, just because I think Larry Fedora knows the situation that, that the team is in. They need some wins. They need them now. And if you kind of look at what they've done in the last couple games, you know, they added that shovel pass in. That wasn't in their packages for a while. And talking with Nathan Elliott, he said they, they really just specifically added that uh, for the Syracuse game. And then you know, lining him up under center, they haven't been doing that a lot. And uh, Brian Ives, our, our former intern, made the note on, on Twitter that while Larry Fedora has gone under center at UNC a handful of times, upwards of you know, 50 times, the first time he did it last week was 
the second time in two years. And so that's not something they've done recently. But yet, Elliot said they've, they've really worked on uh, some plays out of that set uh, here in recent weeks. So all that to be said, Larry's showing some inclination to make some minor adjustments. Is it going to be big enough for us to really get an idea and be able to see it? Eh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But I think you're going to see some, some more trick plays. Um, he sees that as being aggressive. He sees that as an opportunity uh, to make something happen. And I, I think with the way this offense struggles, that may not be a bad idea. Uh, but kind of to your point, when you've got backs like Antonio Williams and Michael Carter, uh, you got to use them. And we know how Fedora's offense works. But whatever unique way to get them the ball, I, I think is good. Um, Syracuse did a really good job early taking the run away. And Elliott, I think you got to give him credit. He played well in that first half. And I think that's part of the reason why UNC has success running the ball after halftime. Um, so you can't go strictly run, but you've got to really use the passing game to set up those running backs. And you've got to ride them to victory if you're going to try to get out of Charlottesville with with five straight. Let me get the last break of the show and I'll be right back. It loves me. It loves me not. Hey, Rebecca, what you doing? Oh, uh, I just wanted to see if my love for Duncan's pumpkin iced coffee is um, mutual. It loves me. I'm so happy for you guys. Jealous? Fall in love with fall flavors at Duncan with any size $2 iced coffee from 2 to 6 p.m. Try any of our delicious flavors like maple, pecan, or pumpkin. America runs on Duncan. It loves me. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. All right, boys. It's our favorite time. Prediction <laughs> time. Um, glad we do not do this for money. Otherwise, we would um, be eating a lot of ramen noodles. Even though, Greg, you've been pretty good at it. So, Greg, you'll start. North Carolina and Virginia in Charlottesville. Give me score. And MVP for North Carolina. Well, I was good for the first month, and then it's kind of uh, <laughs> it w- that went away. <laughs> uh, but I, I do, I do think this will be a low-scoring game. Um, I do think the nine points is, is too much of a spread for Virginia. Uh, but you know, North Carolina has had a hard time winning games. Virginia's been able to win games. I think that matters. So I've got Virginia winning this one. Uh, let's see, I'll go twenty-four seventeen. And in terms of uh, MVP for North Carolina, I think it's got to be um, – I'll go Jason Strobridge. Malik Carney is probably another one, but I think Strobridge has really been playing well in the middle. And I think for North Carolina to keep this close, he's got to do a pretty good job uh, there at the, the point of attack. All right, Jason, you're up. I'm actually going to flip the script here, and I'm going to go with Carolina, Carolina to win this game. And it's a game I pick Carolina to lose before the season. Um. I just I I actually think that that because of the way that this matches up and this being a, a lower scoring game and a game where running game is going to matter, I think I think Carolina may end up having the better running game in this game, and uh, and and in a game where you don't have to score a ton of points and and you know you can you can count on not having to throw it a bunch and and trying to not not forcing Nathan Elliott to go out there and win it. I think they've got a chance of 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 winning this game. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna buck my my own preseason prediction and go with Carolina to win this 23 to 20. Uh, I'm not super confident in Carolina in, in the actual you know Carolina straight up pick, 
but I do like both. Uh, if you're, you know, you're, if you are of the gambling type, I do like Carolina against the number and the under in this game. So, so uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. But um, as far as the, the, uh, the, the MVP, I'm going to go with, uh, with Michael Carter. I think if, if Carolina does win, it's because uh, Carter has, has had a big game. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to predict Carolina loses another close one. Um, I like how you would say in the, in the last few weeks, until you see it, you're going <laughs> to continue to pick one way. And, you know, and I just violated that. You just violated it. Right. So I'm, so I'm going to assume your role. I'm going to say 26 um, 20 Virginia. I think Carolina will have chances. I think the defense will play pretty well. I just think they don't get it done. But I could be terribly wrong and as buck sanders tells you i often am um <laughs> as far as the mvp for north carolina I, I think newsom's gonna make a lot of plays and i think if carolina wins newsom probably makes the game changing play i just i have doubts about and this is piling on a little bit but i have doubts about the coaching staff getting the players in the right place at the end of the game to make the winning plays a lot of it's on the players, but I think it ultimately falls on the coaches. So 26-20, Virginia snaps Carolina's winning streak in Charlottesville, which is insane. Greg and Jason, it's been fun. It always is. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. As a busy weatherman, people rely on me for up-to-the-minute weather reporting, which means I need energy to keep me going throughout my day. Well, right now, you can get two Dunkin' Bacon, Egg, and Cheese sandwiches for $5. Well, in that case, the forecast calls for rain, sun, partly cloudy, high, low, scattered, isolated, umbrella jacket, flip-flops with 100% chance of look it up on the Internet. I've got sandwiches to eat. Humidity dew point. Get two Dunkin' Bacon, Egg, and Cheese sandwiches for $5. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply.